powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Craziest game ever? Craziest game of the season? I mean, it was almost the record-breaking first period in the NHL. Two goals short. I'm kind of disappointed they didn't do it, but uh, lots to talk about tonight. We've got an amazing guest with us tonight, Coach Greg, Coach Revac, from Hockey IQ and Hockey Arsenal. This is going to be really fun, guys. Uh, if you don't know who Greg is, he did a podcast with Marty St. Louis before St. Louis was coach. And how I found that, uh, have found out about Greg was I was sent this podcast by a friend. Was like, listen to this. Listen to what how St. Louis talks about hockey. And immediately I thought, wow, I think Marty St. Louis with all this like lack of coaching experience, I think he's going to be all right based on how he talks on this podcast. He's speaking music to my ears. So we got lots to talk about, lots of insider info for the Montreal Canadiens. But first, we got to tell you, you want to bet? It's March Mania at Sports Interaction. Hold on. I got some audio backfeed there. Sorry about that. Uh, NHL, NBA, March Madness, MLB, and so much more. It's bananas. Play pinata picks and Minute Madness, exclusive games with insane odds, and you can't play them anywhere else. Make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code you see at the bottom of the screen, or head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in Coach Greg. How you doing, Coach? Man, what... what? What a treat. I mean, this game literally had something for everyone. You want point shots, they give it to you. You want fine arts, they give it to you. You want someone just trying hard and putting it all out in the line, Pizzetta will give it to you. Like, this was a phenomenal game, uh, unless you love goaltending and shutouts and really boring <laughs> hockey and you suck at life. But nonetheless, it was a phenomenal game. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I grew up a goaltender, so I, I do like goaltending, but I also really like goals. So <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm okay going against that, so. the brand, my my man. I mean, my brother was a goalie too, so I, I respect it. But going against the brand there, yeah. I mean, we saw goaltending dominance for so long in the NHL. Like now, we're on what like a four or five year stretch where save percentage is, is uh, trending downwards, goals are up. So I think we needed this as a sport. We're we're in a a good trend. I mean, obviously, too many of these games, you probably don't really want that because it was quite messy you know like i don't think you want this game in the playoffs but unless it's like nine eight it's a little bit closer but i don't know did you watch the, the, the games in the 80s i mean i watched the late 80s my dad literally used to record the tv i get the old bolson commercials uh so I, i've seen lemieux and stevens and all those guys before yager was even a thought of being drafted uh i mean the, those playoff games didn't suck <laughs> true although the goalies did they they were great for what they had. I mean, you, you try putting 50 pounds on your legs and try to, move. this is true. This is true. I just think like <laughs> looking back at that era, the patented Gretzky, like half slapper from the boards probably isn't going to work in the modern game. Definitely not. Technology's come a long way for goalies and shooters. Uh, there's obviously that constant evolution, but yeah, <laughs> would yeah, not work uh, my- today. <laughs> My co-host is in the comments in the stream chat says Andrew grew up idolizing Mike Liute. I actually did like Mike Liute. I'm not quite that old though. I think although the first game that I ever that I can remember seeing in like my head, I think Mike Liute was playing. It was Habs versus Hartford Whalers. I've told this story before, but uh, that was like the day that I fell in love with hockey. I just watched Patrick Wad doing his weird like chicken head bob thing, and I was like, all right. 
this is my personality for the rest of my life. This is what <laughs> I love. Uh, so there such, was, a, such a gem. It was absolutely on the ice anyway. But uh, we won't get into that tonight. Um, <laughs> I had I always take notes during the game. I gave up after the first period in this one. I, I did the I exact a, same. I literally had notes for all the goals and everything and breakdowns. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this and we'll, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Like I, you know, I was taking notes for the goals. There's no way we're going to talk about every goal because <laughs> we'll be here till tomorrow. Right. But here's, here's what I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a couple of more broad things that are not necessarily associated with this game, but just things that I know that you can speak to based on like your work in like doing skills coaching and all that and your writing, uh, which everyone should check out by the way. Why? Like we, you know that Marty St. Louis is a very progressive coach, right? But why do the Canadians defensemen love to slide on their tummies so much defending odd man rushes? I know you hate the slide. I, I do uh, the HIO show with the Montreal Gazette with Rick Green, former uh, Montreal Canadiens defenseman. He despises the slide. You get him talking about it and he just gets so mad. I sent him your article about the slide a few <laughs> weeks ago and he was like, yes, I'm not too, I'm too, I'm not too old school. It actually does suck. So why do the Canadians love that move so much? Oh man, that, that, where, where are all the people out there that uh, actually follow the team and can ask this, get in the locker room. Uh, if they come through Columbus, <laughs> I might have to dust off the press pass and actually ask. Uh, I'm not quite sure on that. Um, I, I do want to talk about one thing though, which is, is kind of what you talked about. Like the, the games have been more high scoring. So I wrote about this um, and there's a lot of like nuances that you can go into, like power plays are better and all of this, but really the difference is the defensemen are activating and we're, we're seeing a lot more from all five players. Like no longer, you just make the first pass and that your job's done. Good to go. Follow up the rink. Now, like, they're pushing the play. They're starting to lead the rush. And I thought the first goal uh, from Matheson was absolutely crisp textbook, modern day hockey. Um, didn't rush it up the ice, drew an F1. That guy goes behind the net. You come out, finding the play, building up, going weak side to an activating defenseman, flying Matheson, come in on the dot line, go a little bit wide to make the angle a little bit better and then cut in and shoot. I thought that was fantastic. So uh, not sure on the slide, but I got to say that first goal, I was uh, tipping my cap like that's beautiful, beautiful play right there. Yeah. And Mike Matheson, I thought one of the few guys, I mean, there's just straight up not a great game for the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think we're going to have to mince words about that. Uh, the Florida Panthers dominated possession pretty much entirely the, the entire game. And uh, Mike Madison actually had a terrible night by the underlying numbers, but book ended the game essentially with two spectacular plays. That first goal that kind of set the pace of scoring for the game. And then that assist on the power play, which was the last goal of the game. Can you go into like the skill level to pull off what he did from the blue line hold to beating the I, I want to say defender, but I mean defender as in the guy yeah, checking the, him. We'll call, yeah, we call that the check. So in you know, a yeah. coaching term, you're like, it's it's your opponent, the person that's responsible for you, that's your check. So you're talking about like, how do you beat your check? How do you manipulate your checks? Like he does a lot of great little weight shifts where he like fakes one way, it goes another way, or he's blasting by guys with a little deceptive, like almost like a little bit of the shoulders going, you know, like, like I don't know, we're doing salsa here or something. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So like he does a really nice job with that kind of stuff. And, and he's such a great skater um, that it makes it a lot easier for him than other guys. 
so Madison's great. I mean, you saw it on, on both goals, the goal and the assist. Um, it, it seems a little bit smoother for him than other guys. Uh, I mean, like you, you compare him, no offense to Savard. I love him. He's on my fantasy team and everything. Used to be a Columbus Blue Jacket here in Ohio with me. Like I love Savard, but you know, you really don't see like the big weight shifts and the quickness that he shows, uh, Matheson shows. So I think that's the big thing. And uh, what, what it really comes back to is, is you've got Adam Nicholas and Marty St. Louis, both beautiful hockey IQ podcast guests, um, <laughs> who are teaching these things very progressively and it's it's all about the read the read the read the read and if you ever hear them talk about it, it's all about how do we get them to read because knowledge of the game is great and it gives you ideas of what you can do knowledge in the game in the scenario at ice level when things are happening you don't have the full 360 bird's eye view and i think that's the keys here is what is he reading what's he looking for in the environment that allows him to have success and make the right decision and no matter what an opponent makes he always has a counter move that's even better Exactly. And this has kind of been a continuing story with the St. Louis, like we'll say brain trust with him and and Adam Nicholas. I know there was an article on uh, The Athletic earlier in the season about how St. Louis believes like hockey IQ can kind of be taught like that, that mythical hockey sense, right? That You can get players. I don't know if he, I don't think he actually says like you can get them like all to the same place, but you can bring it up. For every player and one of the guys that I think a lot of folks have noticed this season where it seems like St. Louis and Adam Nicholas have actually accomplished something was Josh Anderson who's gone from a guy who like he puts his head down he skates straight <laughs> up the ice and then he skates too close to the goalie because he's going too fast and he doesn't have room to shoot and either misses or goes straight into the pads still struggling on the breakaways but you watch him now and as a guy who before I know he doesn't have any assists this year but the guy before who just like could not find his line mates ever. And now you see him slowing up a little bit once in a while. He looks over his shoulder. He is finding line mates. And one of the things that I've noticed, particularly in the last few games, is he kind of slows up in the neutral zone and creates space for himself to receive passes on like zone entries, which is something like, despite the fact that he's a great skater, he was never really a great transition player before this year. Do you, do you think that with guys like St. Louis and Nicholas in the organization, you can consistently find players where you can boost them up in terms of hockey sense? Or is that kind of just once in a while you might find a guy who's willing to work hard and listen? Or it, could it be like a elevate the whole team kind of thing? It's an elevate the t- whole team because you're taking guys that are going into situations and they may not have had the awareness of what to look for in given situations or how to approach a situation. And now they're thinking about these things. Um, they're actually seeing this and the level of detail within the game is raising and becoming higher and higher. Um, like for example, Anderson, I mean, he just basically tried to beat you wide and when he was with the jackets and that was everything wide, wide, wide drive, try to get the, the edge, uh, which is great and all, and something that's useful and puts defensemen in a bad position. But at the same point, like having speed is great. How you utilize speed is what actually makes it a true asset for you. Like once you show speed to a defenseman once or twice, like they've got you covered. Now you slow up. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they're still respecting your speed. So now they're giving you more space underneath. Like it just creates so many more options and possibilities that allows you to play the game at a much deeper level, a lot more possibilities where you can create more. 
Um, so it may not be like the flash. I'm just gonna use my speed and my size. You still have that in the tool bag, but now you've got multiple ways. You've got an A, B, C game that you can beat a defenseman in multiple different ways. And you just decide what's the best given the situation, given the read, what they're giving you. And it's so, so vital for the player development when you're talking with players and you're showing them ways. Cause half the time you get to a coach and they're like, you just need to do this and do that rather than, well, what if they give you this? What if they show you that? And, and that's where Nicholas and St. Louis are just so phenomenal is they're talking through these levels of detail. So where the, when you get a new player in, they may take some time to acclimate to the situation and the systems and how to play with their teammates. But once they get it, their game is better forever. You're whether you're increasing your asset value for a trade or you're increasing the hockey IQ for your player to keep forever and really be an, an impact player. And it's, it's amazing that they're basically doing so much with so little. I mean, how many injuries do we have on Montreal this year? I mean, you're basically a lot. half half of an AHL roster and they're improving those guys to a level that is just so, so high. Um, I mean, finally, finally, and, and well-deserved Montreal has a progressive team and coaching staff that is truly at the cutting edge. Now the talent level is clearly not there, but from a processy coaching standpoint, uh, they're easily, easily, uh, top, top five, if not top three or potentially the best. Um, and for me, it all starts with the GM. I think he's done an excellent job hiring. I mean, you'll have uh, maybe some pushback in the chat if we've got the same people in here as we had <laughs> on the last show. There's some upset people from uh, not tanking hard enough for the Canadians. But hey, they lost tonight, so everyone can be happy. They're one step closer to maybe getting lucky and uh, grabbing Connor Bedard, which of course would change everything. But uh, I, what you're talking about, I think it just makes logical sense when you break it down uh, of like, having options right and obviously when you're talking to an nhl player you're going to be going into way more detail because there's way more potential situations that come up in such a dynamic game but i remember back when i was writing like three or four times a week doing like heavier research pieces for sportsnet rds uh the winnipeg free press one of the things that i always wanted to like point back to and talk about was players who are a guy like say mike hoffman right who I think has diversified his game a little bit this year to the point where he's not as much of a liability defensively, even though if the offense isn't uh, what we expect from him throughout the rest of his career. But he was a guy for most of his career. It was like, you're a shooter only, and your assists come off rebounds. You're not really fine in guys. And guys like that, or on the other hand, Jonathan Drouin, who for the most part has been a playmaker from the perimeter, when you only have that one tool I feel like you get less space because defenders don't really have to respect the other option, right? So even in that like very simplified shooter pass situation, you still have that same thing where if you can develop it just a little bit, you don't have to be a great shooter if you're Jonathan Drouin or a great uh, playmaker if you're Mike Hoffman, but just making a short pass to change angles or shooting sometimes where you can force a defender to think is he gonna shoot i feel like all that stuff when you layer it together into the detail that nicholas and st louis get to go into on a daily basis you can see very easily where a player could improve drastically based on like a couple of these simple situations 
Yeah, and they're not asking you to do something you can't do. They're expanding from what you currently do. And St. Louis is so good with film of getting players to think and have the self-reflection and keeping it so short where you can't get distracted or have ADD. I mean, modern day attention spans are so small, but like even with how he does film, it's truly at an elite level. Um, And it's really exciting for me to see him get a chance. And I remember people were like, it's a freaking peewee coach. What is he? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Okay, first off, he's been there, done that. He understands it from the player standpoint. But number two, like this guy has been talking with some of the most elite minds. Like one of his assistant coaches at Vermont is now like one of the high ups with USA Hockey and absolutely gets how players develop, how minds work. Like he was the perfect person for this job. Um, If you wanted to tank harder, probably not the perfect person, but I'm not sure why you (laughs) wouldn't want to instill this earlier rather than later. Um, and I'm really high on their draft class from this past year as well. So I think they've done a nice job and, um, yeah, you're going to need a guy or two here to fall to you, but from a process and learning and developing this is the best and one of the best organizations, uh, at actually doing it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a fun time with these guys and how they're going about their jobs and letting these players develop. And like you said, like diversifying their game a little bit. So they've got multiple options where it, it's hard to defend you. And you're so dynamic and it's, it's not just you go in, you hit hard and that's your job on the fourth line. It's like, no, you're still expected to make a read. You're still expected to make a play, which when you have four lines doing that and coming at you, one, unbelievably difficult to play against. Number two, now you can elevate guys up the lineup and it's no big deal. And you've got people who can play all over the place. You got hard times with matchups, like from a long-term standpoint, uh, well, it may be painful this year and there's a lot of injuries from a long-term standpoint, getting everyone on the same page and players feeding off each other and self. And and like one thing people don't understand is like, there's so much teaching from player to player, especially with fourth liners and third liners that maybe have a little more time to like see the game and are a little more seasoned and teach all of these great young players. Like you're building this culture as a, as a unit where, you're able to have everyone leaning into it and teaching and sending the same and similar messages. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm super, super bullish on the Habs. You can't tell. But yeah. yeah they, they, they still got an AHL roster. Got, got a ways to go. Yeah. I mean, especially with, with Cole Caulfield out, it's goals are a little bit hard to come by. You might not be able to tell if you only watch this one, but uh, <laughs> I mean, they've had a good stretch recently for goal scoring, defending, not so much goaltending, not so much. But, uh, yeah, it's been tough for the Canadians to muster anything close to uh, a normal NHL roster for two seasons now. It's been very strange. There's a lot of uh, speculation and media pressure and fan pressure on their medical staff and strength and conditioning staff, which, I don't know, some of that seems a little bit unfair. Some of that, uh, I just find it's one of those situations where we just don't know the details of this stuff, and it... Like, in a couple of seasons, things can go wrong in a multitude of ways. Injuries can be random. Some players are, you know, on the back nine, and that's when injuries happen more often. So I don't really get into that too much on on the injury front. I feel like a lot of that is bad luck and having players who are oft injured. But uh, it's it's a weird one for the Habs, that's for sure. Uh, Yeah, the comments saying that uh, they miss Kirby Doc. Uh, I think everyone misses Kirby Doc. I think St. Louis most of all, and maybe Nick Suzuki misses Kirby Doc having another natural center on the team. Um, I did want to ask you, 
about the about this game. Let's talk about this game a little bit. Uh, <laughs> have you seen a crazier sequence than five goals in six minutes? Six minute, six goals in eight minutes. I had written down here as well, under eight minutes. Yeah, I, I stopped taking notes at goal number nine because goal number ten happened so fast that the commentators literally couldn't keep up with it. It just clipped to a, like a puck off a wall and someone dumping it in the net. And you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> It was insane, but yeah, the, the game was, uh, yeah, I, like I said earlier, like it had a little bit for everyone. Like there was so many different ways that goals were scored. You had some skill plays, you had some point shots. Um, I think the, the one little play that really stuck out to me is like, ooh, this is really cool, high-level stuff that shows a really high flash of skill and potential uh, was Caden Gooley on that 2-2 goal where he picked up the puck off the wall. Like he put his body... So he established body position. Fantastic. Picks up a a puck off the rim with his backhand. And and it was literally like a one touch into the middle just for a spot into support. I mean, that was unbelievably high level. Bump off the wall. Looks like a nothing play to most people. But if you're Marty St. Louis and the coaching staff and you, you know, even me, I'm like, I'm going to clip that all day long. Like the high level ability of establishing body positioning that's absolutely elite skill that will transition to every part of the ice and then being able to pick up a puck off the wall, like 80% of puck touches come off the wall. So your ability to take a bad puck off the outside and make it a good puck in the middle. Fantastic. So for me, that was massive. I thought that was, that was really, really cool. Uh, point shot ones don't do as much for me, but the ones that show <laughs> like, ah, this person might actually be able to do something elsewhere on the ice and not just, you know, muck and grind and huck pucks without thoughts. Uh, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Caden Gooley is, I think, the poster child this season for ignore the, like, public data and just lean into what you actually see. Because he, he's obviously been tasked with a tough role, uh, especially early in the season when he was on the top pair with Savard. And as you said, I know you're you're a Savard guy, but back, at, back end of his career, I think he's worked extraordinarily hard this year, but obviously doesn't have the foot speed to play, you know, against top lines and he's being forced to play against top lines anyway. So uh, Gooley has struggled on like the shot attempt differentials, expected goals, all that. But I think when you isolate him and you look what he's doing for the most part, you get plays like that or like strong defensive plays where he's making the right decisions. He still gets beat because that's kind of the, the deal with being a defenseman is sometimes you're up against Connor McDavid and, it's not really much you can do sometimes, but uh, yeah. I, I think he's going to be the guy that takes the biggest jump when he's put in the right role or like he becomes, I don't want to say physically more mature because I think he's already a big dude, but still you're only 20 years old. There's like, it's less about weight and more just power. The, I mean, if, yeah. you, if you look at, at Savar, like when he was drafted, like underweight offensive defenseman. Yep. Look at him now. Would you call him that? <laughs> no. hey, there's a long way to go. Although uh, he's got that spinorama and it works every time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gooley's a funny case study. Uh, I did quite a bit of, of uh, study of him on his draft year. So unbelievably physically gifted guy. Uh, majority of the NHL are just, you know, physical freaks. But from an offensive standpoint, you saw a guy who was really underdeveloped. Um, even in his draft year, like it was kind of surprising how high he went because he really did not show much offense 
Um, it almost reminded me a little bit of the the Nick uh, Patrecki, you know, I think he went twenty first overall in like two thousand six, maybe maybe it was two thousand eight, something like that. too. the San Jose Sharks, it's like really good physical freak, really good defender, but is there anything there? And, and you're kind of seeing it play out. Like offense is not easy to develop. It's what you need to develop first because right. you can always rein in the defense. Like that's more usually on focus and how do you attach to a check and all of these things. But I, I love the fact that they're trying to teach offense and how to go about it because it's so much more difficult and you're doing it now rather than later, which when you hit the win now mode, like, do you really want to be messing with these kinds of mistakes? Like a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. But you'd rather be teaching maybe a little bit more defense where you already have the capabilities to score. Uh, it, it's just a great way to develop is starting with the offense first and then working your way back. And if you're able to expand a guy like Caden, who's, who's never going to be a first line power play defense, yeah. like that's not going to be him, but at least develop into a, st- a point where he's joining the rush and he's getting some points and you're seeing him, you know, maybe get 10 goals a year and have 30, 40 assists. Like you're going to be really happy with that. Cause he's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal shutdown defenseman at some point where now you're looking at him as like one of those guys who's going to make $6 million. And you're like, yeah, I really don't see him on the scoreboard, but you watch the game and you're like, he just dominates you and your own or in his own end, like unbelievable. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think Caden Gooley is just, he's going to be such a stud. I, I want to ask you, um, how did you feel about the Florida Panthers' sixth goal? Because it seemed like as much as the Panthers were always, I think they're always going to win this game. The Canadians just don't have the horses to compete with a team that has as much scoring depth as they do. But it seemed like the game changed a little bit on that sixth goal where there's four players back in the Florida Panthers' zone the referee has his hand up like he's calling a penalty. They blow the whistle, and then I believe it was Sam Reinhart takes the shot. I feel like he took the shot as the whistle went, or like the puck was like on net as the whistle went. So it's a tough call. But then the refs go into a huddle. They don't look at a video or anything. All of a sudden, the penalties disappear. They say it's a good goal, and then they just refuse to go to Marty St. Louis to explain it while he's like hollering, come over. What was your take on that? Cause from my perspective, I don't understand how they can make that choice and not go over and talk to the coach at that moment, because it's either that moment or it's too late. Yeah. That for me as a coach, that's, that would be the frustrating part is like, you just want an explanation. Like what is going on? Just let me know what we're doing here. Um, that's the key part. Otherwise it's all on the refs. Like they're allowed to change their mind, whether they do or not is usually uh very, very questionable. Um, but the, like, if you go back to the rule book, it's, it's the intention to blow the whistle, not the whistle itself that matters on the timing. And then, you know, what is the call on the ice? So they, they have the right to huddle up and figure it out, but it was definitely a weird situation on how it went down. And then a little, little disrespect there to the coaches of not going over and actually seeing and talking and explaining the ruling uh that being said uh the goal was phenomenal from an offensive perspective really bad from a goaltending perspective like (laughs) pushing that puck into the the defenseman's triangle really high level and elite so you like you push it in you get over the stick and able to shoot phenomenal scoring from that angle on jake allen uh you're gonna want that one back all day but yeah 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 overall it was just it was a weird goal but uh 
some brilliance, some stupidity, and some very poor communication from the refs. I would hopefully they flag that because there there are people who actually watch the refs and do video with them. I hope they flag that one big time. Yeah, it, it, I'm split on it because I don't think the whistle affected the goal whatsoever. Like it's not like the whistle was so far ahead of the shot that like Allen stopped playing. Yeah. So I I understand if the meeting was like well intention to blow let's just let it go and they're saying like the penalty was only called on the canadians so like it was a delayed penalty on the canadians so florida could maintain possession but it kind of seemed like they were going to take both guys and the decision to ignore st louis who's calling and waving over that's a that's a rough one i think and i'm, I'm sure that st louis was a little bit ticked off but it's uh doesn't really matter it's a good time for this to happen to the Montreal Canadiens because they don't really need to worry about winning games right now. Yes, this 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 is not a bad year to get a top five pick. Um, no kidding. Yeah, I think top four for sure, and then there's a big drop off. But even the top three, some of the like, if if you look at uh, Byron Bader's models and whatnot, like the the first three are just. Gener- like they'd be number one in most draft years. Like Fantilli's yep. doing things that's better than Jack Eichel ever did uh, in, in the USHL and then in college. Then you've got Bedard, which if you don't know about Bedard by now, uh, he's really, 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 really good. And I, hey, wherever your rock is, keep living there. Clearly, it's a nice place to live. <laughs> um, and then you've got Michkov in Russia, which y- you actually look at him, you're like, who? Like, is there really like, the high end skills, but it's, it's kind of like that guy who just figures out and just continually adapts and scores like, and anyone who's profiled like him in the past from a scoring standpoint has always turned into an NHL star. Like not yeah. one has ever failed. Maybe he'll be the first one. Cause like his, he's like, he's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have like the hardest shot, but he's like just the most cheekiest guy you've ever seen. Like he just knows when you're weak and boom, and he pounces on it. Like he just has that beautiful timing with it. And then Leo Carlson's phenomenal as well over in, in Sweden, not at the level of those three, but still a fantastic player. Kind of maybe closer to a uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins ask like more on that level where, if, yeah, you're not sure who's going to be the first overall pick. I mean, no offense to Slavskoski, maybe kind of like that kind of draft class where you're like really good player, but no like generational type. Like he's right. just going to be dominating. So like great year to definitely finish top five um, in the draft. Fifth guy, you can go multiple ways and still be happy with it. I, I think the top three for sure for me have separated themselves. Leo Carlson, fourth, really good. And then you, you can hit on some guys. But sure. uh, yeah, like you said, not not a bad year to lose. Being in Columbus, uh, I gotta say, I'm hoping the Jackets continue to to hold on to that bottom spot. Yeah, that would be a big move for for the Columbus Blue Jackets. There's never been a player like that in the organization. No offense to Artemi Panarin, but uh, or Johnny Gaudreau level. Yeah, Johnny Gaudreau's good. I mean, playing with Johnny Gaudreau that'd be a pretty nice situation to start out your career, right? Uh, yes. I do want to talk about Slavkovsky, but we got a question in the chat about uh, the decision on Nick Suzuki getting five in the game at the end there for what was a pretty half-hearted cross-check that I guess rode up into the guy's chin or something. But correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Greg, but I think when they chose to review it, they in order to review it, they have to call a major penalty causing an injury. or No, a major penalty, right? And a game misconduct in order to review it. And then they could rescind it upon review, but if there's an actual penalty on it, they're kind of stuck, aren't they? They have to call that? 
correct me if I'm wrong. I could be. It's been a while since I've dusted off my rule book here. But if there is a potentiality of a five minute, that is when they can go to it. Like they think that eh, there might be something here or someone says something about a five. That's when they got a review. Cause obviously if it's going to that level or you're thinking about that level of penalty, uh, it definitely needs to be reviewed. You can't just go straight to that unless it's super obvious and you're like, Oh, hundred percent. It's going to be that all day. So it's kind of weird. Um, you know, then you're talking about like intent to injure and all of that. Um, <laughs> It's so subjective with refereeing sometimes of like it is how you know what what's their perception, what are they seeing, what are they looking for? Uh I know a few guys that do like video review with the refs and how they do it, but I, I hate speculating on that kind of stuff. So I don't want to commit one way or the other. I'll just say like you're you're gonna review if you think potentially it could be a five and some things can look way worse in slow-mo than they do in real time and uh re- referees definitely are, are scrutinized just like players are. Uh, just a little bit more behind the scenes than you, you'd expect. So, yeah, <laughs> is, is had, what it is and turned out. Um, as long as he's not out for the next game, I think we can all be happy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with no Nick Suzuki, this team down the middle is uh, going into Tampa Bay. It's not a great scene, I got to tell you. But uh, yeah, Stammer's back. I, yeah. Oh God, too. Jeez. But uh, I'm guessing they're not going to throw an extra suspension out there just because it's. I don't know from the angle they got, which was like the uh, the the offside camera in the boards, all the way on the other end of the ice. It looked pretty half-hearted uh, from Suzuki's perspective, or from Suzuki's yeah, I don't know involvement. It didn't look that intense, but uh, clearly it became an intense interaction afterwards. And the rest decided they needed to look at it. Um, let's. I want to ask you about your Slavkovsky because he's become. I think with the injury and absence of seeing him play and, and watching him develop game by game and watching Shane Wright go back down to junior and put up numbers, I think there's a lot of frustration in, in Montreal about that pick at the moment. Uh, and there's some people who, of course, want to defend it because you look at Ken Hughes' track record at this point and it's hard to really disagree with him on anything, but... Obviously, he's not playing junior hockey, so he's not going to put up the numbers that Shane Wright is. And he's not playing college hockey, so he's not going to put up the numbers Logan Cooley is. But did you see at all during the year, I don't know how much you got a chance to watch him, like him take those lessons and the Canadians' decision to keep him close to Adam Nicholas, did you see that paying off this year? Or is it still more of a, he's got to just get reps and we'll see that develop later? I think a big thing that we need to all take into account is the difference in ice size between Europe and the, and North America. There was a massive difference um, from a routing timing perspective uh, that you, you could see Slavkovsky being very successful and comfortable on the big rink, but the small rink you really need to adjust, um, whether that's to be expected or maybe it was a little bit more than most. Uh, who knows, but from my viewings, every time it was like the timing was just slightly off. It was either a little too slow. The routing was not quite right. So f- as, as I watch him, I, I think it, it might be a bit unfair and it's going to be really unfair now because he didn't get a full season to get used to all these reps and the ice geography. And then for me, it comes back to my coaching, even like 
I don't like moving the nets to like three on three cross ice. Cause I think there's a lot to be said about how do you utilize the ice? Um, you know, like one of my recent posts, you probably saw about like using the, the, the dots as kind of like geography and touch points and waypoints as you're routing yourself around the ice. And, and for me, I think Slavkovsky, every time I saw him, I came away thinking the same thing about like, I think the ice difference and how he navigated it was massive to him this year and getting, comfortable. So I think he's probably not going to next year's blast off. I think he's going to be one of those guys who kind of slow burns, but once he gets to that right point, uh, he's going to be fantastic. And uh, between him, Cooley and, and Shane Wright, you can make an argument any way you want about any of those prospects from an actual player that it is now versus what they could be. Uh, for me, I, I keep coming back to ice geography, ice dimensions and how that affects players usually it's goalies that it's biggest for but for for me and how he feels around the game i think that is absolutely massive so i wouldn't panic until you're looking maybe you get the full season underneath his belt then maybe we can start diving a little bit deeper and actually getting into the details but uh for the most part you could see there's some moments of brilliance you know there's reasons why he was number one but he still needs to get used to the ice surface and how it all plays out and the timing with it, which is uh, difficult to say the least when you're doing it at the NHL level, rather than maybe the AHL uh, or juniors even. So uh, yeah, not, not an easy job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the reasoning that they gave for keeping him in the NHL over the AHL is just to work with the skills coaches every day, as opposed to, I, I know he does. I know Adam Nicholas does work with the Laval Rocket a little bit, but it's not to the same frequency as uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Obviously, that's his main job. Yeah. I'm guessing that they're probably thinking of hiring another guy who can work under Nicholas down with the Laval Rocket. <laughs> you put your hand up. All right, hey, we'll Adam, get how's to... it going? Good to see you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Job opening possibly with the Montreal Canadiens. We know they know of the show, but. Uh, that is like the reasoning, but I, I feel like it might have been a bit of a mistake not to let him go down to the American Hockey League and just adjust down there, at least for the first half of the season kind of thing. And then if he earns it, you can bring him up, and then you still got a half season to work daily with Adam Nicholas. But too late now. You could do something next season. Maybe he, he figures it out quicker than we think. Um yeah, you don't want the yo-yo like you got with Kak and Yami. Like that was exactly. a bad situation. And the coaching level definitely is not as high as, as Adam and MSL and other guys bring to it uh, in the current organization. Yeah, and I know one thing that like scouts constantly brought up when we've had a few scouts on the show and they talk about Slavkovsky, one of his big issues has been uh, failing to scan when he has the puck. So you'll see him, he'll make a play that's available, but it's usually the play that's like right in front of his face. So he's not necessarily seeing where his teammates are, what routes they're taking. So like his, his passing was a little bit behind where it was when he was playing like in the Olympics or out in uh, the, I'm trying to think of the league that he was in now. The SM Liga was where he was playing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Over, over yeah. in Finland. Yeah, over in Finland. So that has been an issue. But I know, like, just to clarify things for everybody watching, there's a difference between scanning and reading, right? And tell me if I'm wrong here, because obviously I'm not an expert. I'm not a coach. But to me, scanning is figuring out, like, where your teammates are, whereas the read that you're making is, like, what plays are available, correct? 
scanning came into the vernacular as like the idea of kind of like a radar, like you're scanning all of the information out there. Um, so it's like every, you scan, how often do you scan? Uh, but also like what level of detail do you scan? And I, I, their comments and the scouts comments you said that have been on kind of align with what I'm seeing. Like, it, again, it's timing and how fast this game moves compared to the place he was. Um, but yeah, sc- scanning, you're looking at what information is out there that makes my read and my decision for me a lot easier or simple, or do I need to go here? Do I need to go there? And what does that look like? So again, I think it comes back to just adjusting to the North American game and, I don't care what anyone says. The, the NHL is a different beast. Like it is just a hard, hard place to develop. Uh, that's why you, you often see guys that maybe bake a little bit longer, uh, stick around a lot longer in the game or reach higher heights. Um, but we, it's hard with him with his skill set, where he is with the guys that he should be around and connecting with, uh, to, to say that that wasn't the right decision. Maybe you look back and you're like, yeah, maybe it was a mistake. We should have put him in the A for a little bit, whatever it is. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's tough. And the, and the scanning part is, is all part of it. It's like, how does he scan? So, I mean, those are definitely going to be discussions that are going to be brought up uh, for my discussions with those guys on the podcast and off air and whatnot. It, it's definitely going to be a piece of his development. That's going to be massive for him to, to adjust. So like, if uh, to try to put that into just like simple terms so that everyone who's watching can understand it and like uh, the, the adaption from, <clears throat> sorry, the big ice in Europe to the small ice in the NHL. And I would say <clears throat> the general speed of the NHL as well is higher. The amount that you would or the frequency that you would have to scan would be significantly higher in the NHL, correct? And that's why maybe it looks like he's behind. He's not scanning enough as opposed to like a guy like Nick Suzuki who just seems like his head's always going. Well, think about it from a perspective. Like it happens a lot slower because there's more room to cover in Europe. So you maybe you don't need to scan as much because you already have a general idea and people can only do so much in a certain amount of space. Now in the NHL, things can change like that. So now maybe you need to increase your scanning frequency. So how often you're scanning, but now you're doing it more often. Are you still able to do it to the depths that you used to do it? Can you acquire the same information? Can you build that mental map as deep and as full? Like when I talked with guys like Marty St. Louis, they're always talking about, yeah, I knew handedness. I knew how long they were in their shift. I knew if they're forward or defenseman, I knew what direction they were going into and what kind of general idea of speed it was. I'm like, you do all of that. I mean, you can kind of guesstimate exactly where I need to put a puck for guys who's going to be open, who's not going to be open and really make a decision. And obviously like even Marty, like how long it took him to get to the NHL and fully break through. I mean, he's a phenomenal player, but let's be honest at age 18, he was not ready or even close to being able to even play professional hockey. Um, You know, those skills weren't developed and these things can continue to develop uh, well, well beyond the the early years where you're seeing a lot of physical development being the big jumps Uh, you know, the, the mental development, needs to come along as well and I, I wouldn't be concerned yet yeah I've, i'm hoping that many people find that encouraging just because uh it sucks to give up on a guy at 18 you gotta you gotta live i know there's a lot of like uh i don't want to trivialize the the actual affliction of ptsd but it's like hockey ptsd 
from watching the Canadians burn things with Galchenyuk and Kokaniemi as the high picks, but that's the previous regime. Or even Duran even a little bit. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mistakes were made. There's a new regime. There's people in who are extremely smart at what they can do for for young kids especially. So no throwing in the towels yet, but uh, we'll we'll leave it there because I don't want to take up your whole night, Greg, but uh, thank you so much for doing this. I hope we get to do it again next season because the games are dwindling down here and I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, before we go though, tell everyone where they can find your work. Oh yeah, I am super active uh, on Twitter at Coach Revac, R-E-V-A-K. Um, and then anything... Uh, newsletter and podcast just search hockey iq and then put newsletter or podcast behind it uh definitely subscribe to the newsletter it's a great place to be uh slack on the podcast from time to time depending on how thick into the season we are i've got a high school team i'm coaching doing some consulting with some folks as well so uh newsletter i can promise that'll go out every sunday at 8 a.m uh sometimes on wednesdays i got some extra stuff got some uh supporter stuff if you want to subscribe and pay six bucks a month uh, we can go into that depth and, and dive into some of maybe my favorite prospects or some things that academies around the world are doing. So it's a great thing for coaches, parents, uh, anyone who's a fan of the game. So Hockey IQ, uh, you can find us anywhere on the web. But uh, no, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun to talk. I bet we could probably go for another hour. But uh, everyone here needs to get to bed at some point, right? This is true. This is true. And honestly, it's it's a joy to me because I get to pick your brain and I can say as somebody who's, you know, been obsessed with hockey my entire life, I learn something new from the stuff that Greg puts out pretty much every week. So I would strongly advise everyone who watches this, or I mean, everyone who doesn't too, but uh, they're not going to hear this, (laughs) to go and... Tell tell your friends. (laughs) Yeah, tell all your friends. Make sure you uh, like this show so that the algorithm picks it up and throws it all around YouTube so everyone can see. I, I strongly advise you to check out what Greg does because... It's really well done. It's very simplified in the way that he he writes and puts things together. I think anybody who watches this sport can understand it. And it's so logical in terms of getting from point A to point B. You understand why he's saying things like this, where he's coming from, what how it impacts the game, all that. It is incredible stuff. It's awesome. You should check it out. Don't make me uh, blush too hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to keep on boosting you so you come back again. All right. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks to everyone for watching. We'll see you on Saturday for the Tampa Bay Lightning game with hopefully Nick Suzuki in the lineup. (laughs) Later. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.